right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are again at long last. Dominic, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, checking in on Survivor 45 in the, a calendar year in which it has not actually aired uh, is... It kind of in keeping with my uh, watching routine this season where I would, uh, for whatever reason, never be able to watch live and do my best in vain to avoid going on Twitter and uh, getting spoiled before I'd had a chance to actually watch the episode. So uh, I guess no spoiler concerns this time around, but uh, the delay pace very much in keeping with uh, the, the whole rhythm this season. Yeah, and I would be pretty surprised if this was the first time we were back to wrap up a season, not in the calendar year in which it concluded, but one way or another, definitely excited to be back in here. Uh, I will say at the top of the show, though, that while we will certainly be getting to plenty of specifics from Survivor 45 to kind of just set the table on where I'm at. I think you're on a roughly similar page, but I'll, uh, at a certain point, once I'm done rambling, toss the ball over to you and we can find out more about that. But for me, for the last, like, many years, I would say, probably right around, like, Edge of Extinction thereabouts, I have been finding myself, frankly, significantly less interested in the kind of like week to week happenings on any given season of survivor with probably winners at war being like an exception uh, in there and much more interested in the state of like survivor as a franchise where it is, where it seems like it's going. And I feel like frankly, a lot of our conversations in the years between whenever it started and now have revolved around that sort of thing. And that I think is probably the place at which to dive in here as well is, you know, we have now five seasons of the new era. I feel like at this point, I am at least comfortable making some bigger uh, assumptions about what the future of survivor might look like now that we do have that kind of back catalog of what it seems like Jeff wants the new era to be. Uh, and where Survivor might go from here. So I think that uh, is a place worth getting into right at the top. And on top, beyond that, the specifics of Survivor 45 have certainly uh, been explored by many, many other uh, podcast networks to this point. Uh, and so hopefully this is something kind of refreshing for the people out there as well. Uh, Dom, let me begin before we even get into that bird's eye view of, are you on, have you been on roughly that same page? Because the vibe that I've gotten from you, and again, it's how we have framed a lot of the conversation in the podcast we've done, but am I, am I forcing this on you or is that roughly where you are as well? No, I, I think it's fun to check in now and again to talk about it, but you're right that I really have lost my appetite for the week by week, uh, doing our best to dissect just what we're being presented with on screen and the 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 week by week strategy and so on i think we've just become increasingly disillusioned with the idea of doing that where it feels like you to, to have anything meaningful to say you have to have some kind of strong take about it but inevitably something comes up that uh well of course you weren't shown this but this is useful context that you really need to have any hope of understanding it whatsoever and just reading other people trying to engage in the same sort of analysis where I like to think we do it more thoughtfully than 
uh, a lot of you know the the average uh, voices in the crowd do. Uh, but even so, when you you see all these comments about how stupid someone is, how could they not uh, consider this this obvious factor when uh, like you you could very easily if you read between the lines you don't know what you're missing but you know there's something that you are missing and it just it feels like a lost cause past a certain point also the show has encouraged uh this this trend where trying to dissect the gameplay at all even while you are there playing the game seems to be a lost cause where uh there, there are so many uh twists and everything looking around every corner that just having a chance to sit down and actually look at known variables and trying to map out the game like what why even bother right just uh try and play good fundamentals it's almost wrapped around to the point where just don't don't get out of line just kind of ride the wave as it goes uh and that's almost the the best approach and then i i think just uh at some point either in the late 30s or with covid or whatever just the uh the, the, the drive if you like the grind set to just come in here and, and do it week by week it just kind of faded away um and I, I don't know if we need to diagnose that at a particular season or point or whatever but yeah it just i, I don't know we moved on to other things uh but yeah I, I like coming in here and just checking in uh on on the season and the last time we did that uh, i i was in here saying i'm not sure why everyone is so low on sean but he seems to be like a you know really fun character and maybe a lot of potential as a player and i immediately got egg on my face after that but the uh the peril of doing this week by week is you would be reminding me of that uh within you know six or seven calendar days as it stands right now, uh, you would have forgotten about that just like everything else. And so uh, there's always some freedom in just getting to uh, fire off whatever we want when we do come in here. Knowing that, we're just yelling into the void and there's no gonna, uh, accountability or follow up on it whatsoever. I had 100% forgotten about that. So thank you for the reminder. Remind me to uh, berate you, I suppose, later in this podcast. I like Sean a lot, too, though, to be honest. I still like Sean a lot. Uh, but to touch on something you said in there, I think that actually kind of is one of the main catalysts for me losing interest i remember not and to be clear i still very much enjoy watching survivor in general i watched virtually every episode of season 45 on wednesday nights if not live very shortly thereafter uh as we'll get on to loved d love the vast majority of the cast and really liked the season overall. But I, I think uh, the kind of like critical thing for me is uh, we talked about this in our Survivor 42 season in review. At that point, after seeing what Marianne had just done and what Erica had done before her, I talked about Survivor in like the new era essentially coming down to as far as i could tell and i think we have continued to see a lot of this in the time since then the right idea is to just be water like don't get over your head too early don't stand out from the pack too soon just accept the fact that the game is never going to stop throwing uh or at least attempting to throw endless wrenches your way uh, and just be very good at maneuvering kind of along with the momentum of the tide, for lack of a, a better parallel at this point. And that, I think, is the the bulk of why, like, the week-to-week incidentals feel a lot less interesting to me these days. 
than they did before. Uh, but uh, one thing that I am really trying to make like a mental point of for myself is I really do not want to, during this conversation and just when thinking about Survivor in general, overreact to having back-to-back -back seasons where last time it was the Tika 3, this time it was the Reba 4, and ultimately it felt like pretty much everything when all was said and done came down to day one alliances and both felt quite predictable uh, in insofar as like the new era can uh, over the course of watching those seasons. And I don't think that that is necessarily something I need to be super nervous about in the future. The thing that I am uh, going to continue to be nervous about in the future is one thing that I loved, loved about Survivor 41 through Survivor 43. And like, truly, I felt like I'd spent at a solid decade, if not longer, rooting harder than I was for just about anything for this to become the case. And we finally had it. And now I am deeply nervous that it is just lost and gone forever. And that is on 41 through 43. I felt like all of the like edgic work that people had put in and certainly including ourselves over the first 40 seasons of Survivor was essentially a moot point uh, on those seasons. They were, it felt like going out of their way to make it almost like edgic proof or at least much, much more difficult uh, to be able to like find winner edits and pick people out from the crowd and so forth. And I loved that dynamic of anything could happen. Anyone is on the table at any time. I feel like the reaction to Gabler winning was mistaken by Jeff. And like he's talked about this, I'm sure on his podcast and like other interviews, it very much seemed like he mistook dissatisfaction with Gabler winning for confusion about why Gabler won. And I remember him saying, like, we're definitely going to make a point now going forward to make sure that everyone in the audience is very clear on why the winner ultimately won. And I would, you know, it's obviously easy to say this, like, in retrospect, knowing the full results. Uh, but I feel like both Jam Jam and D got like borderline coronation edits. And that to me is something that I do feel like will continue to be consistent. And that makes me nervous. But overall, Dom, through the first five seasons of the new era, how are you feeling uh, about like the state of affairs? And moreover, how are you feeling about like what the powers that be feel about the state of affairs? Do you feel like this is we're we have reached the point where Jeff is basically saying to himself, okay, this is what survivor is and perhaps always should have been. Hmm. So while I remember, and it, it does tie into this too, to some degree, uh, another thing that uh, goes back to what you were saying earlier is just as it feels like talking by talking about the events of the show week by week uh, just feels almost weirdly antiquated. Uh, instead of talking about the state of Survivor in big picture terms, it seems like Survivor itself is doing that too, where increasingly 
the experience of playing Survivor is just talking about how threatening it is to be on Survivor and playing Survivor. And so it just becomes this uh, this snake kind of eating its own tail instead of people just living in the moment and actually playing the game. And as fans, it feels increasingly hard to just live in the moment and talk about the events of the game without it being uh, tied into some larger uh, state of the union kind of thing or into larger themes, which... I think Survivor at its most ambitious can do and should do, but when that's kind of all that it's doing, it it's easy for that to all get lost in the shuffle somehow. But in any case, for me, uh, I almost take some comfort in uh, uh, Jabram and D both having these weirdly uh, uh, old school, predictable, dominant, like could have seen it coming uh, style wins because. I was not sure that was even possible in this new era and how much of that was uh, working backwards from the fact that the winners have been Erica, Marianne, Gabler, and how the hell do we edit that in a coherent way? And they've never really uh, figured out how to edit that style of gameplay, which is, I think, more inherently challenging to do justice to. But also, like, it's a hard assignment, and they failed the assignment historically, uh, and have never really figured out the right formula for it. And I did not see any signs of that changing in this new era through three examples of it happening. And so I wasn't sure if uh, when this happened, they would ever figure out how to do it. And if maybe just something about the game uh, as a result of the casting or the format or whatever had changed to the point where this was just the outright dominant strategy now is to to be the Erica, to be the Marianne, to be like the not the first mover ever, but like the second or third mover and just uh, swoop in towards the end in like three quarters of the way through the game at the point where it was kind of too late to do anything about it. But it was uh, at just the right moment where people would sit up and take notice of what you were doing. Um, and so to have these people who from day one seem like they were in the driver's seat and to actually convert on that. I don't want that to be the trend. I don't want it to happen every single time. But to see it happen at all is almost reassures me that, yeah, Survivor still has that inherent variety to it where different styles of play can succeed. And uh, you can have the, the, the Jam Jams and the Ds as well as the, uh, the Erica, Marianne Gablers of the world as well. So I think I would give them, it sounds like a bit more credit than you would, at least in the cases of... Certainly Erica, and I would extend it to uh, Marianne and Gabler, albeit for a slightly different reason. I think there was certainly a point in time where if Erica had won playing the exact same game she did, she would have gotten kind of like the Michelle Fitzgerald and Co. Wrong edit where they bend over backwards from like start to finish to almost like force feed us why we should like and be rooting for this person. Not that there's no, everyone's very aware of why they should like and be rooting for Michelle Fitzgerald. Don't get me wrong. And also Erica. Uh, but I was very, very grateful that we had someone I, I, and we talked about this in the moment. Like I hate for Erica that she got so under edited on a season that she ultimately won. But I loved what that meant for the franchise going forward, that even the, some of the least visible people we're still plenty live to win. And what I loved about Marianne and Gabler was they very much got like a warts and all kind of edit that I felt like the production team was generally very reluctant to give to pretty much anyone who won. 
in the first 40 seasons. Uh, Jam Jam, I would say, had his back up against the wall and was presented as such. And I did not feel like it was ever like a stone cold lock that Jam Jam must be the winner of Survivor 44, especially on the heels of 41 through 43, where I felt like at that point we could still feel comfortable just taking everything we thought we knew about the edit and throwing it in the garbage because we thought those same things on 41 42 and 43 and we were comically wrong uh d i would say is the one that has really uh stood out from the pack along those lines and i also you know d played a hell of a game as we will get on to i don't know what you would even do to try to make it look like D didn't dominate like from start to finish and pre along pretty much any conceivable angle there. So maybe I'm over, now that I think about it, maybe I'm actually overreacting like in the opposite direction. And once we go back to uh, a winner who did not just have a stranglehold on seemingly everything that was put in front of her, uh, we will return to the kind of early new era sort of tendencies there. Uh, but briefly perhaps setting aside the edit of it all i think i continue to feel like the most important factor which is in my mind what jeff probst thinks of how everything is going it still seems to me like he is very happy with the kind of underlying philosophy of the new era and there are certainly going to be many, many tweaks along the way. They're going to try a bunch of stuff. They're going to get rid of a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, for instance, we had the big, like, emotional backstory packages were a staple of the early years of the new era. And this time around, while we still got some of it, we were not, for lack of a better term, like, beaten over the head with it the way it felt like we were for at least a year or two. Uh, in there, and I think they will continue to experiment with uh, innumerable different things uh, while they fine-tune and try to keep things fresh, uh, but I think it continues to be the case that Jeff Probst looks at these last five seasons as exactly what, after 20-plus years, Survivor is best suited to be which is as you alluded to already that experience like to me it is resoundingly clear that jeff places a huge priority on wanting survivor to teach people who they really are and make them grateful for every day that they have on this earth and so and that's been a common theme for jeff for a long 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 time uh but i feel like it's very much crept more into the show in the new era and as far as i can tell that is going to continue to be the case for better or for worse like in my mind it's massively for better uh in the context of like the casts that we're getting or the way certain stories are being presented but there are you know certain drawbacks where at a certain at a certain point it does start to feel kind of stale like we're just hearing the next person tell their exact reasons for all of those things and we're just kind of going down the line uh in a way that i don't feel like was ever really present for the first first 40 seasons so uh, again i think there's going to continue to be a ton of experimentation going on uh, i am optimistic overall about the future of survivor i think we are certainly at a better place than we were in 
a couple of the other eras that we were podcasting about in real time. For instance, the early 20s or the late 30s come to mind. Like, I, I am very happy with the new era overall. Uh, I do, though, wonder if Jeff may be thinking they are very close to figuring out, like, just what Survivor fundamentally is from now until whenever he's done hosting the show. And I'm frankly a bit up in the air about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the franchise. Yeah. I think even if you might find yourself uh, aligned with Jeff's uh, kind of uh, vibe, I suppose now um, his way of uh, getting there and molding the show in that image might not sit well with you. And so it's kind of hard to have faith in both uh jeff's outlook on life uh, and how that feeds into the show and also uh in how uh, just the the process you it's harder to trust the process i think than it has been at various points in the past and also just being on board with jeff maybe is uh it's always been a complicated uh task but um increasingly so and for new reasons uh in this new era as well um so i think even if yeah i'm sure there are people who maybe took a more cynical view towards the show and always wanted it to be uh, something very different in the past. But maybe now they have uh, mellowed with age and now that they have uh, families and young kids and they're they're watching with those kids and they now are like the exact target audience uh, for uh, for the show, maybe their whole perspective has changed. And I'd be interested to maybe hear from some of those people if, if they want to uh, relate that themselves. But yeah, I think uh, for us, uh, you know, charting our own history, watching the show, analyzing the show, it's just kind of hard to uh, like strap in and get a, get a good seat there and, and feel like you are having like a comfortable ride. Um, but it, yeah, the show is what it is and it is pretty unambiguous about who what it is and who it is for these days. And so I feel like you can just choose for yourself whether it's for you and complaining about it while still watching it is like, the the exact uh, unhappy medium to get yourself into, right? Whereas like yeah. you, you're you're watching out of a sense of obligation, uh, and but instead of enjoying it or enjoying talking about it or thinking about it, you're just trying to enjoy not enjoying it instead, which uh, is as much of a contradiction as it sounds. So okay. I, I don't know. I I think we are trying to uh, reconcile that with ourselves. Of well, we we come in here as and when we want to, instead of feeling like we have to. Uh, keep our finger on the pulse every week and when we want to talk about stuff we'll talk about it and i i think i would encourage everyone else to do the same yeah uh and okay on that on that uh note actually it does not seem like the cast of survivor 45 really wants to talk about this season all that much uh, i i don't know if it's uh just me or just the the timing of when the season ended and maybe some of this will start to trickle out here in the new year uh and we're actually uh ahead of uh the curve in that regard but I have not seen the same litany of uh, deep dives and post-game breakdowns and so on that you would expect from the average Survivor season over the past few years, but especially in this era where everybody there from the first boot to the winner is guaranteed to be a super fan and everyone uh, knows RHAP, is an avid RHAP listener, like people kind of want to be part of the full Survivor experience, and that now includes uh, being someone who goes on these very long uh deep dives about it afterwards even despite all of that there just hasn't been much of that yet as far as i can tell and maybe the yet is the wrong word maybe there just won't be any of it for uh and i don't know what the reasons for that might be 
So uh, I have a guess. Uh, I uh, certainly yeah. remember. Well, I have a couple guesses for this season in particular. We will not go down those uh, rabbit holes, but it was it continued to be the case in the early seasons of the new era that the players were totally free to go on with Rob or whomever else and talk for, it seemed like as long as they wanted to. And then they had some sort of major drama with something Omer said uh, in his very long form interview with Rob. I believe it was the case that the interview had to be like taken down and repost or something, something very extreme. And from that point forward, they were only allowed by CBS to do like 60 minute tops interviews about like their versions of deep dives from their perspective on the seasons, uh, you know, whatever the season was. And I, I mean, the only reasonable explanation in my mind is that even that has now been cut off. Like there, there's, I, Maybe I'm just like completely out of the loop, but as you talked about, pretty much everyone in these casts is a Survivor super fan. I am positive a huge chunk of them are longtime like RHAP listeners and probably plenty of like RHAP patrons in there and so forth who would love even the hour to go on and give their side of the story in more detail. The fact that zero have done that as far as I'm concerned. Uh, maybe this is just me going towards Occam's razor here. I think the overwhelmingly most likely explanation is that they just have not been allowed to by CBS, uh, which incidentally, CBS, you had one, as far as I know, super minor issue over the course of the like, probably hundreds of hours of interviews that were conducted by Rob and, you know, we used to do it back in the day uh, and plenty of other platforms have done these things to have one detail slip out that they were not happy about slipping out, have that lead to cut it all the way down to an hour and then eventually have it lead to zero interviews ever. That makes CBS look so much sketchier than whatever the one random detail that would get out every decade or so uh, being out there would make them look. Uh, but I don't think they're particularly concerned uh, with my take on whether or not their contestants should be allowed to speak freely. But, well, it's super uh, disappointing is the, the overall point that we don't get those anymore. Yeah, I, you're certainly right about all of the the context there, uh, and we, we've discussed some of that, I think, in our very occasional wrap-ups for the past few seasons. But I think with this season, on top of that, even if there was more freedom to actually tell your side of the story, I'm not sure if there would be as much of an appetite for it. Uh, and part of that might be just that with 90-minute episodes, uh, more of the story is told in a more kind of fair and faithful way. And I think despite my early skepticism, they actually did do a good job of making the most of that extra screen time this season, even on their first attempt doing that. So that's that, that's an encouraging trend, if that's going to continue uh, that way. But also, I think that among the people who who went that far, um, I mean, Dee is a super fan like everyone else is, but I don't know if she's the type who, like Marianne had, what was it, a six-hour or something sit-down interview with Rob, and I, I guess it's, Lucky that uh, suddenly for her that 
it was her season that kind of ended that trend and she got to just like sneak in before that happened as opposed to you know uh if she had won 43 instead there might be uh hours and hours of of, uh of takes and memories and so on just just waiting to burst out um that she's struggling to contain but i think d seems like someone who she's willing to let more of her game just kind of speak for herself even though from her relatively dominant position there would probably be more to say in terms of how she maintained that control and what things look like than there might be for someone like a Gabler whose entire story is, uh, well, I was floating under the radar for 30-something days, or I guess 20-something days now, uh, and then finally, you know, burst out to bite my prey at the end. Uh, I think for D, I think she's willing to just kind of let it speak for itself a bit more. Uh, Austin, I could imagine being the guy who has the... uh, very energetic five hour uh deep dive if that was on the table still but even going beyond that right like um drew one thing that really was unique about drew was the fact that even though he is invested in the show and the idea of him being on it he was very keen to put it behind him uh, it seemed once it was over, he was able to compartmentalize and uh, apparently did not talk to a lot of the cast for like several months after um, the the season ended. It was like ghosting the the season 45 group chat or something. And it was like, yeah, well, I, I did that and that was cool. And now I'm going to move on and not let it consume me quite as much as, you know, what, once it starts airing, of course, it's going to be some of that. But I, I want to at least control my engagement with it to some degree. Um and maybe now there would be some desire to like set the record straight and I'm going to tell the story of how I was the one really in control the whole time. But I, I get the sense he's more willing to just kind of let it chill than a lot of people who get lumped in as the Drew of their season uh, might be. And just, yeah, down the line, like Julie, big power player, but in a way that she's going to be dissecting in the the method and the tone that the the, the super online fans are clamoring for nowadays i, I don't think so it, it just feels like a much less uh maybe a less online cast although some of them certainly still are online so don't want to sell that short but do, do you see where i'm going with this i i believe so uh like maybe it is the case i i am 100 percent just speaking totally on the assumptions that I myself have made, any of which could be totally wrong, uh, it, it is well within the realm of possibility that for one reason or another, this cast just didn't feel like dwelling on everything that had just gone down. They were good to let their stories speak for themselves. I'm sure the 90 minutes uh, went a long way in making everyone in the game feel overall more comfortable with the way uh their story was told rather than you know so many people in the history of survivor before that basically just got five minutes of why this person deserves to be voted out tonight uh whenever their number got called and they didn't get a whole lot of story before that i I feel like there are potentially quite a few factors many of which may be going over my head entirely as to what has kind of led us here i still think the likeliest explanation is they're essentially just not allowed to do it uh but we'll see what becomes of that Uh, like and incidentally i think drew was kind of the standout along the uh, like along the lines of just wanting to kind of put it behind him out of this cast i have zero problem with anyone who has ever done that before or wants to do that in the future 
like th- this is none of this is a remotely mandatory part of the survivor experience and for anyone for whatever i, I wouldn't care if it was just 100 percent bitterness uh etc i do, which i don't think it is necessarily with drew uh i have absolutely no issue at all with anyone who just wants to go back to their regular life think about survivor whenever they think about it that, hey remember that crazy experience moving on uh th- th- not only do i not have a problem with it i kind of respect that yeah I, and the, the same way that uh it's almost refreshing to see people who uh just play an old school ish game even if that's not what they're consciously trying to do and if they were consciously trying to do it it would not be an old school game with the just kind of like uh organic nature that that implies i i find it refreshing these days when people are not trying to uh continue the survivor experience into the wider experience of then talking about your experience like relitigating it endlessly it's kind of fun to see people who just kind of fuck off back to normal life again (laughs) Um, and if people want to you know milk the this incredibly unique and enriching thing for everything that's worth and great but it's also fun to have people who can balance being a really big survivor fan with just not needing to like do the entire circuit all the time um and often people who have gone into especially uh returning player seasons as these like uh lauded players who are big fans they often come out like very disenchanted with the show and almost wanting as clean a break from it as they can and if and when we we get returning players from this era and you know that's a topic we definitely want to uh discuss uh before long uh i hope that they manage to avoid that same fate but for now i i think it's almost good training for that to like treat it as if this is a one and done thing and actually embrace the done part and not be you know, living in the one half for all, as long as possible. Right. Yes. Uh, okay. So I'm sure we will have plenty more about just the grand scheme of the state of survivor along the way, but let's finally talk a little bit about season 45 in particular. Uh, Dom, I have in front of us some of the highlights that came to mind for me. Uh, we'll go through them in however long it takes, uh, but I want to just start off the top with, I know I already said, I definitely enjoyed Survivor 45 as it was going along. Did you? I did, yeah. Like, week by week, and then uh, kind of looking back, I thought it was a, a fun ride, and uh, the, the the story of the season was easy to tell, and they did a pretty good job of telling it for the most part. Um, so, yeah, the the kind of raw materials were good and i think the finished product was pretty good as well like i said a, a different viewing experience uh when you're kind of uh, catching up as and when you can which probably is again a, a healthier way to engage than uh f- trying to find some illegal stream at the dead of night the way i used to back in the uk to uh to to watch it live and uh, and god forbid anyone whisper any details about what happened or, or they're dead to me um how hard was it to say on to stay unspoiled in england not that hard, honestly, and I found it much harder to stay unspoiled this season than I had any right to because I could just not mindlessly scroll over into that part of Twitter and I, and and yeah, here we are once again every single week. Um, I, I I yeah I I liked it. It was fun. I but I don't know what more there is to that 
beyond it was fun and that's really uh poor analysis poor podcasting and that's part of the issue right is that i think once you get to a phase of just uh enjoying something without the five layers on top of it that come with that like what what am i meant to say about it i'll I'll find some things i mean i'm sure the the runtime (laughs) here will be uh uh, horribly long given all of that but you know it's i i don't have takes bursting at the seams to uh to let themselves free the way that i used to nor do I. Uh, but I do think one potentially big reason for that in the case of specifically Survivor 45 is, as you just said, the story ultimately was fairly easy to tell, especially when you get 90 minute episodes. And the reason for that or, you know, the main catalyst for that, in my mind, is D just put on what I would consider one of the purest survivor clinics we have ever seen. I think this probably is at this point, the defining kind of new era game to an extent that like, it's honestly at the risk of overstating it. It's tough for me to imagine what more someone could do to play like a conclusively more impressive game in the new era than D just did. Uh, I thought she was, one of the sharpest players we've seen in a long, long time, like an historically talented survivor player at the risk of being hyperbolic. Uh, and I personally found her captivating along the way, entertaining pretty much every single week that she was one of the main characters in the episode. I, I now realize I'm the question I was going to ask is in your mind, Dom is D like an all-time top-tier Survivor winner, but I now remember who I'm talking to, so I will reframe the question and say, Dom, did you even like D, or are you going to hit me with some edgelord take here? No, I, I like D, and I think she's a great winner, but I, I think she's also maybe the first, like, normie winner of the new era, and what what I mean by that is uh, you already had this divide of, I would say, 41 through 43, you have these... Uh, unlikely winners who kind of crept up on both the audience and their own cast members uh, to some extent. And then Jam Jam is uh, this really fun enigma in his own right, where I, I think he he has a lot of talent and he's very good, but you could imagine casts where they kind of uh, just don't gel with him or they see through uh, his tactics and uh, he kind of gets caught in the crossfire a lot quicker. These are the, the kind of person who just fundamentally like she's she's very fun to watch and uh seems like a fun person to be around not in quite the same jam jam way where like you meet them once and you remember them for years because they're just such a big vibrant personality but they're just fun like they're easy to be around and if you just think about what does it take to be good at survivor well uh are you fun to get along with are you just kind of like you know pleasant is it uh when you're passing the downtime are they like a fun presence around camp are they are they working hard around camp and then are they decent enough in the challenges but not so much so that you you sit up and take notice of it and make make a note to target them uh whenever the, the chance uh, comes it, it, it almost reminds me of what people used to say about amanda where it's like she's kind of above average enough at, at everything that she's always going to go deep and always going to have a decent shot as long as she can convert on it and DC almost seems like a much more upbeat and energetic version of that template who can actually convert and will actually convert on that a lot of the time. Like it, I, I really struggle to imagine a 
season where D just is like the second boot because her tribe didn't like her or because she played her way out like too hard, too fast. Um, the way that, you know, for as much as I think Erica, Marianne and Gabler are all in their own ways, like uh, maybe Gabler a little bit less so, they all like did the thing. All of them, uh, after the fact, you had themselves and their cast members saying, well, yeah, if we, if we had just had to go to one more tribal council at uh, at the wrong moment, maybe they would have been like this pre-merge boot instead of uh, the winner of the season. With D, it almost seems uh, difficult to imagine that happening. It's like even asking the question seems like you you don't understand the person you're talking about. And that that's a really great thing to be able to say about someone. Yeah, uh, and it's great for us that we don't have to spend a ton of time dissecting the finer points of D's kind of path to victory along the way, because fully granting, of course, that the eventual winner is almost always going to have their story told in such a way uh, as to make them look good and like they have their head in the right place uh, most of the time, at the very least, as the game is going on around them. I, I mean, I very, very much struggle to see where anyone is like deducting points from D as a survivor player or like poking holes in her game. It seemed from start to finish, like whatever D wanted to happen ultimately did happen pretty much every single time anything was up in the air while simultaneously maintaining a position of, as far as I could tell, pretty much constant safety, no matter how the competitions or the advantages ended up falling there other like the closest she probably came was that vote at final five right and even then jake seemed like the only one really interested uh in taking her out and it required like him having an idol and even when everything broke disastrously as far as i can tell she still wasn't in any real danger uh of being eliminated there so i mean very uh little that i have to add about d's game beyond what we saw on the episodes because i feel like much more so frankly than anyone else we've seen in the new era and probably in most of the seasons leading up to that does a winner's game just so clearly speak for itself uh so i think we can yeah get... that, that that final five round i think is kind of more complicated in both directions than people give it credit for because i think the the d doubters they bring that up as the deniers. Well, there we go. Thank you. Uh, I, th they would cite that as the example of, well, she almost let this slip through her fingers the way that, you know, we, uh, someone like Tyson, right. Who played a very dominant winning game, but also maybe got careless at a few points. And, uh, it was a lot maybe. less kind of locked in than, than maybe it should have been. Um, you, you could argue that final five round, like D, and this is indicative of maybe a larger issue. Uh, D not being willing to just bite the bullet and write Julie's name down, uh, if that would have been like the safest path uh, through that vote, that that is a risk. And if there was a more real chance of D like actually losing to Julie, or if that being the kind of million dollar choice that we have seen otherwise good winners just not be willing to make in the past, like we are. Uh, we are not Denise deniers, right? Or maybe a little more so after Winners of War. But, you know, that, that was always the one big asterisk against her Philippines game for me is that, well, she didn't want to write down Malcolm until Malcolm all but uh, forced her to do so. And she was 
looking for a chance to hand her million away to him. And I, I think Dee basically would have beaten anyone, uh, as it turns out. But if that wasn't the case, and maybe that's not a, a hypothetical, it even makes sense to indulge, but like, would she be willing to make that million dollar uh, cut of decision if she had to? Um, and hopefully we get the chance to see that tested on another season, perhaps. But uh, that, that would be the one question people have in practice though right i think it took the wrong guy finding the idol at exactly the right time which already is a, a stroke of uh bad luck in itself like that's a one thing that could really challenge her uh position and then he still was not able to identify the true scale of the threat that depots and actually uh and, and we could could as well they couldn't get on the same page and actually follow through on that um and so that that in turn speaks to the level of safety that she had where so often it would make sense on paper for the other you know that this narrow majority to come together to dethrone the group in power uh and that's the story we saw this season right there are points where if all of the non-reaver people uh teamed up and got on the same page then uh they could have just picked off uh d and austin and so on and drew and julie but that was not going to happen and that's not only because that four was tight and did a good job is also because in in practice these uh this motley crew of people who didn't trust each other and couldn't work together and who even if they worked together for this vote like was that actual path to the end and to winning the game they they were never going to link up the way that they had to and so um it's easy to say oh why didn't Katura do this and why didn't uh Bruce and Drake and whatever but like yeah that wasn't going to happen and that's a result of good gameplay on the Reapers part and that's why we're in the spot that we're in so when people say oh well yeah uh if if d was playing with people and substitute d for really any dominant winner that you like if they were just playing with people who knew what they were doing it wouldn't have been so easy well like yeah but it's also good gameplay on the other end to make yourself the person that people trust and to kind of be less of an obvious threat than you should be but also to have those people kind of at each other's throats the way that it is hard to imagine D being at someone else's throat, right? Like she is not going to have the same personality clash that, uh, you know, so maybe Bruce is an extreme example, but that you see just throughout the season between any different pairs of people. And that's why she's good at Survivor, fundamentally. Uh, right, I, I think, sorry, just to quickly uh, nitpick that, I certainly think it is well within the realm of possibility for D or for any of the people that we think of as like some of the greatest survivor players of all time to want to be at someone else's throat. They just don't actually do it. Uh, and I think that is a big piece of what sets them apart. Uh, how do you mean? As in, I don't think it's a situation where I'm, I'm trying to come up with uh, exceptions. Where So in my mind, I have a very hard time picturing Kim Spradlin ever getting like worked up to the point that she's like fuming in a confessional about how bad she wants to like chew someone out or is tilted by whatever. And I would not say the same about D nor virtually anyone else who has ever played survivor. But I think D along with the other all time great players is not the type to let that show through when she's actually having interactions with those people. And that is a very valuable skill to have. Yeah. I mean, I would say 
I would have agreed with that about Kim before Winners of War, but on that season, we did see her get flustered, get frustrated, often in like a more open and visible way once she was at like that level of competition where, yeah, it's it's tough and you would have to be like legitimately superhuman not to get frustrated about some of those things. And uh, for someone like Dee, I think often comes across as more relatable because like, yeah, when uh, they're having fun and they're joking around, that seems sincere. And then also when they're mad about things and you're going to know it because they wear it on on their sleeve, then that seems like relatable in a non-threatening way too. And there are people who don't accomplish that. There are people who are there going off on one. It's like, well, yeah, I I can't talk to them or look them in the eye for the next day because it's just not going to be productive. I don't don't get that vibe from from D or from the other people who like, yeah, they'll have these human moments in the game that's designed to be very, very taxing but you know that they'll rebound from that and that it's, it's just going to be a, a blip on the radar if that. Yeah. Uh, so, Dom, the first time we were in here this season uh, to return to just the highlight reel in my mind was after episode three when we had that Sabaya boot episode with the idol going into the fire at Tribal Council. I was aptly very fired up uh, about that episode. I thought it was so cool the way... Even like the initial thing played out, let alone having that culminate in Sabaya actually being the one to leave there. Uh, that to me was, I know it was a long time ago, uh, at the time that we are recording this, but that definitely is going to stand out in my memory. Like when I think back on Survivor 45, I think that's going to be one of the most memorable things for me. And I think we had a couple other things along similar lines of, Essentially, whoa, we've been watching Survivor for beyond plural decades. At the, Well, I have. Dom was a Johnny-come-lately back in, like, 2010. Uh, but it, the, 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 me and the true super fans out there have been watching this show forever. And we've never seen that before, and that's very cool. Uh, I, I thought the other couple things that, like, fell into that camp for me this time around that I liked a lot uh, and will probably think back to many years from now when I'm trying to remember the specifics about what happened on Survivor 45. Uh, first of all, we had uh, the first hit ever on the shot in the dark uh, when Caleb was able to save himself that way. And then secondly, as we were just talking about, that vote at Final Five that ended up getting split two to one to one to one. Uh, while not necessarily the most like riveting things, not to undersell them, uh, I, I did find both of those just as like events that could happen in a season of Survivor finally happening uh, after however long of being theoretically possible, but probably pretty unlikely. Uh, I, I did enjoy both of those moments uh, quite a bit. What did you think about, if you have anything to add oh. about? Is this where I get to rant at length about that shot in the dark moment? Please do. Okay, so I, as uh, established for basically every episode of the season, I uh, was not able to watch in real time and had to catch up the day after and uh, tried and failed to not uh, learn anything about the episode in between. So with this one, I my, my failure went so far as I knew there was something big. I knew there was a moment involving Caleb at Tribal that everybody was talking about, but I didn't know any details beyond that. So uh, in my idle speculation, before I could actually uh, confirm that for myself, I thought, well, 
maybe there's some kind of uh, idle play involved and I, he doesn't have one yet so he's gonna have to find it or maybe someone plays one for him there's uh he he like mind fucks them into that or they see a chance to make a move either way something's gonna go down uh i know that i'm trying to uh set my expectations in the right place and, and enjoy the episode for what it is and when it finally came i was glad that it happened because i really liked caleb and i'm glad that we got another episode of him and that you know the timing worked out perfectly because it meant he got to be the the first jury member instead of uh falling you know tragically just short uh so the the timing of it was perfect in that sense um and i guess the it like it was fun to watch in the way that uh watching a roulette wheel spin and then land on exactly uh the right thing like okay that that is fun to watch as well but all of these other uh kind of unique first right where when the idol is introduced in its current form there are so many different things that are possible with it and when you tick off some of those boxes for the first time so you uh the first idol is successfully played for someone else or uh you know the, the first like successful split vote or or whatever like those are moments that have their significance for the people who make the decisions that lead to those and you uh your impression of those people like is uh indelibly like linked to those as a result with this what what have i learned about caleb what have i learned about uh the game of survivor in its current form or about the events that happened in the episode that led up to that vote like it's it's a moment but i could get exactly the same uh like uh reaction to that by just again going to youtube and finding a video of a roulette wheel spinning like it has no bearing on anything that happened or anything that anyone did it's just yeah if you have a shot in the dark in the season and people use it enough times inevitably at some point someone will say themselves with it so it, it it almost feels like a just a mathematical fact instead of an actual uh you know thing on survivor that i can sit back and enjoy and really take pleasure in so i 100 percent see what you're saying and i would totally agree and will in the future agree if it were anything other than the first time i do think the first time is noteworthy in this context and i think most people who consider themselves survivor super fans will definitely remember many many years from now watching caleb be the first one to hit it and so i do like for that reason alone i fully granting that that is not a real reason that has anything to do with the mechanism itself I, 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 i certainly see what you're saying yes but the other thing about it is if the reception to this is so positive if this goes down as one of the the big moments of this season and of the new era it's only going to encourage them to lean even further in that direction and we we said quite cynically when the shot in the dark is introduced it feels like the odds of someone surviving from it are almost too low right like we we don't want this to be here but given that it is why do this unless you can expect this kind of payoff uh maybe even earlier than we got it and more consistently uh, than it seems like we're going to get it like uh, crank up the hit rate there as as much as you can and once you embrace that philosophy a- again you are fundamentally uh edging out just the basic voting mechanics of the game of survivor in favor of these kind of uh uh short-term uh dopamine rushes of oh wow look uh you know i i I hit my one and three shot or whatever, which I, I've watched enough televised poker in my day, right? Like I, I appreciate it when the card comes in on the river, but uh, that's 
not the experience that I thought I was signing up for with this. And if that makes me uh, the the cranky boomer who needs to get with the time, so be it. But that's just that's my stars, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I mean to to push back uh, in the spirit of Emily. I would not say crank it up as high as you possibly can. Like, I certainly think a 50-50 shot on the shot in the dark would be too much. I, though, you know, we've talked about this since the beginning of Shots in the Dark in Survivor 41. Every time it comes up, uh, I continue to be shocked by the restraint that the producers have shown for the exact reasons you just laid out of we have this mechanism in the game. It's still, after however many years, prior to Caleb had yet to pay off. I couldn't believe that they didn't improve the odds over time. And I continue further to be on board with the idea of improving the odds to like one in five, one in four, one in three is very borderline to me. And I would probably best case scenario in my mind is like one in four or so Uh, anything beyond that, I think might be a bit much, but in any event, it certainly seems like, uh, shots in the dark are something they continue to love and will continue to implement there. So maybe Caleb finally hitting it uh, will actually further prevent them from increasing the odds, uh, you know, making the odds better now that they have gotten what they were looking for all along. Uh, and everyone in the audience and in the game has seen this does have an actual chance of happening. Uh, incidentally, I as you were talking about wanting to stay unspoiled it crossed my mind i am a person who is like religiously anti-spoiler if i have not seen the episode i don't go on twitter at all there were there were certainly times where i would just like through sheer muscle memory open up twitter i uh, not having seen the new episode yet but i was always you know, within a second or two, able to remind myself, oh, shit, I haven't watched yet. I got to close out of this. And thankfully, uh, at no point ever on this season was I spoiled on anything. Being spoiled absolutely sucks as far as I'm concerned. However, being reverse spoiled, Dom, as it sounds like you almost were on the Caleb shot in the dark thing when you thought like oh you must find an idol and how's all that gonna go when you go into watching something thinking you know like the spoiler but it turns out that you were wrong about whatever it was and it's it becomes like even more shocking that is one of the finest feelings as a tv tv viewer for my money where i go from that kind of deflated feeling of like, oh, God, I ruined this for myself and I'm so mad uh, to being so excited to have to have once thought that I was spoiled and uh, be wrong is, is always a treat for me. Yeah, it sounds like you you've identified the crucial difference between uh, a shocking blindside or surprise that arises organically and one where the uh, that exact emotion is engineered in a way that you can see coming from a mile off. Yes. Uh, okay. And as for the two one 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 vote, I thought that it was objectively cool. Uh, I remember watching that part of the episode and just being on Twitter, following what the people had to say in real time. And I saw a tweet from uh, Shannon Gates about, "Oh my God, are we potentially getting set up for the first two one one two one 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 
vote at final five like in at least u.s survivor history if not international she would know i would not uh international survivor history uh and i thought to myself oh there's no fucking chance that's happening not because shannon's wrong about that much stuff but because like it just felt like borderline impossible to me for the votes to actually end up ever splitting that way at final five but lo and behold we show up and it does break exactly perfectly for us to get that what i would consider very cool kind of vote result in and well you know even a few months from now i am positive i will have forgotten pretty much all of the specifics of how that came about i do like that we get to kind of check that off the list uh after 44 previous opportunities uh and zero connections prior oh yeah i i loved that moment and uh it, I, i'm almost surprised now that something like that uh where people's wires are crossed and uh there's some plan that gets fumbled because there's just a lack of trust there or someone goes rogue at the last minute or someone gets frazzled because oh what if there's an idol and they go off and do their own thing Given how few people there are at that phase of the game, you, you would almost think that would happen way more often than it does. And I'm almost now impressed for everybody else on other seasons that they've been able to like keep that discipline together and actually just like stick to the plan and, and follow through properly. Yes. Uh, Dom, another potential highlight. I'm not 100% clear on the details here. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Uh, we'll find out. I have heard it circulating uh although i have not heard the content firsthand that jeff because of this particular fire challenge is as far as i know now for the first time ever starting to wonder if maybe not necessarily like permanently getting rid of the fire challenge but at least temporarily getting rid of the fire challenge might be an idea worth considering after previously like drawing a very clear line in the sand of fuck you all the fire challenge is here to stay that at least is not nothing i don't know how likely it is to happen if did you hear about this yeah i heard that he had made some kind of cryptic statement about the fire challenge and i'm uh, thinking through the implications of it i'm not sure what about this one would lead to some uh, some rare introspection from Jeff, though. It, it seemed like if if you want the the fire challenge to be a part of the show, this is a pretty good advertisement for it, right? Like you had this kind of like high stakes contest between uh, you know t two of the players who really needed that that final notch uh, or, or anything really to point to that late in the game. Jake was very keen to go in. Other people really didn't want to go in. Uh, Katura kind of accepted her faith for what it was but was uh giving it everything that she had like i, I don't know I, this seemed like a a pretty kind of good by the books uh fire challenge to me i'm not sure either i, I mean i loved katura along the way but i would have thought you know if jeff was going to start second guessing it it would have probably been more for like a jesse lopez type rather than a katura type uh but i look i'm not here to complain about jeff suddenly opening his mind to the possibility that uh maybe the fire challenge could use a breather well, we, we did. Uh, we, we have gone through this progression over time where uh, initially Jeff's mission was just find a way to stop the the big player, the big character of the season going out just before the finals. Right. Like that, that classic uh, Rob Sessonino, Terry Dietz, Johnny Fairplay kind of spot. Uh, and so we have these these innovations in the format of the game to stop that happening. So immediately after Terry, we get the first final three and then 
after when it seems like uh the the, the jesse's lopez and so on are, are going out of four well now we have the fire challenge where that person uh as long two shots at it and it's going to be much easier for the the challenge threat that everyone uh, at home in small town america loves to actually uh convert and not uh, fall tragically short themselves uh but if we end up in a world where now those people reliably they're going out of a six or a five because everyone knows you can't let them get to four or if those people just lose the fire challenge more often than jeff would like then god only knows what what form the next uh the, the next weasel take I, I mean we literally said in our survivor 35 season in review like within the week of seeing the very first fire challenge like i can't believe this is the case but it very much seems like they're taking the complete backwards approach of what they would want to incentivize because if you put in this fire challenge eventually the players are going to understand the implications and they're just going to take out the ben drebergen's ben's drebergen even sooner they're not going to leave them in uh and the if you wanted to let the big threat fan favorite have a better shot at the finals you would go to a final two you would not start moving the rounds backwards you would you would want to incentivize uh people like leaving them in as a big meat shield and just hoping that they don't win final immunity uh production has had this completely backwards all along i don't know what's going to become of it but it does at least make me feel slightly better that jeff is no longer of the opinion that even discussing getting rid of the fire challenge is a complete non-starter there uh we, we will see I, I i still remain pretty heavily skeptical uh along those lines but i for the first time at least feel like there is some hope uh there have uh there have been some seemingly abrupt behind the scenes uh changes in attitude towards some of these things so i think back to uh you know the 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 long uh past days of survivor 44 uh where carson uh and his 3d printer you know practicing the challenges ahead of time i mean that that was the future of survivor gameplay right carson was a game changer uh and he was setting an example that if you really cared about winning survivor if you were a true super fan this is what you would be doing and now it seems like that has uh someone has had a quiet word in somebody's ear and that is absolutely not the the official philosophy of the show anymore uh and you're not meant to be practicing ahead of time and not meant to be able to be practicing ahead of time and uh cousin himself if he ever uh is in the mix to come back i i don't know if we'll be hearing quite as much about that uh that, that style of preparation anytime soon maybe he'll 3d print himself a fire making practice kit this time <laughs> around uh dom what did you think of 90 minute episodes i i like them it it did make it uh more daunting for me to commit to actually like carving out a block of time to watch the episode because if it dragged it might really drag if this was a slow news week then it's a slow news week as opposed to a slow news you know i i can skip through it uh i can get through mm -hmm. it pretty quick uh but as it happened there was enough going on most of the time and most of the episodes that i if honestly it felt like the time flew by i was in that kind of flow state and that's a good problem to have. I, it, it didn't feel like 90-minute episodes, but for the right reasons uh, in the end. I, so I've personally loved having the extra time. I remember when we first got the news that we were going to switch to 90-minute episodes being very, very nervous about what those extra 30 minutes were going to be used for. Uh, I, After the first trial run 
of 90 minute episodes am a huge huge fan and would love to see that continue to be the case in all seasons going forward uh i don't know how likely that is but i feel like they absolutely crushed how they were able to use that extra time to give us way more of the stuff that i felt like a lot of the seasons prior had tragically had to leave on the cutting room floor uh and so that was a major improvement in my mind i though now will dom weave in uh kind of a negative for me this season and it's certainly not specific to this season i and you as well and i'm sure we're not alone have spent again probably dating back to at least the late 30s seasons i very frustrated by the repetitiveness of both the pre-merge and post-merge challenges uh where it felt like spiritually every single pre-merge challenge and every single post-merge challenge are exactly the same as the one from the last episode and those are all exactly the same from the previous seasons leading up to that and yeah we'll switch the puzzles around or whatever or we'll combine this balance activity with this puzzle when it had previously been with this other puzzle like i'm happy to grant that they were not literally just carbon copies but spiritually it has been the exact same challenge pretty close to 100 percent of the time in every pre-merge and then every post-merge for frankly about as far back as i can remember and for whatever reason and i did wonder if it was the 90 minute element that really drew it out for me somewhere along the way in survivor 45 the straw was placed upon my particular camel's back that it is now finally broken where i think because we had the extra time i would routinely find myself during the first 20 30 minutes however long we got before the first challenge deeply invested in the episode like loving it can't wait to find out where all of this is going the challenge would start and i would zone out i would go on twitter and i would spend the rest of the episode zoned out i would not be super clear on what was happening leading into tribal council i would watch whatever the result was and that would then i would listen to robin steven explain the finer points of it to me on know-it-alls uh the next day i did think that when it came to the 90 minutes the challenges in particular got even harder for me to really pretend to care about uh even as low as that bar had been for me coming in and i felt like they would very frequently just suck like all of the momentum out of the episode for me and i would also say that this entire challenge situation is only made tougher for me and we talk about this all the time over on the patron feed patreon.com slash dom and colin where we are re-watching old seasons and covering them uh generally episode by episode so you know we'll, we'll combine some uh when it's a slow news week but uh just constantly being pummeled with challenges from all sorts of eras of survivor that by modern standards are so fresh even though they're from 2003 or whatever and they're so cool and so creative and the, like this is the thing that really like 
sticks in my craw if i'm something whatever the expression is along those lines <laughs> it would be so easy to implement these in fiji like far far easier than setting up yet another massive obstacle course and like puzzle station that you get up to on a stairway or climbing up a wall or whatever they would like they have to work so much harder to not have diversity in the challenges uh that that has been one thing that like was really highlighted for me this season is just how brutal that element has become for me but otherwise love the 90 minutes yeah I get that we are swimming against the tide, that we are in the minority and that uh, Tribune of the People, Casual Anna, uh, she she speaks for the masses when she says, uh, I love the challenges. I just want to skip the, the boring uh, talking parts in between. I get that there are a lot of people who share, who share that view. And given that, it makes sense to cater to them. I don't get the sense, though, that those people are being catered to, because if anything, it feels like if this is... Uh, one of the main draws to the show for a lot of people, they should be phoning it in even less than they are currently doing. And <laughs> if if they were channeling all of their creative energy into increasingly impressive and innovative uh, obstacle courses and uh, and God knows what else, then uh, fair enough. I, I would get putting your priority there and I would enjoy watching it for what it is, even though it's not uh, why I tune in in the first place. But instead... I have to imagine there's got to be some grumbling among that crowd about why the aspect of the show that most appeals to them feels so unoriginal and so repetitive. And it's not like we're even going back to the well of old reliable challenges where you, you can do them every single season and it's going to be a hit every single time. It, it just feels like more of the same over and over again. And it all just blurs together so i i mean they they would have a very uh legitimate gripe about the show as well yeah uh i'll check in with casual anna and see I, I, you know what i don't know uh actually if anna even watched this season yet uh but perhaps a, a follow-up on that story at a later date uh dom one other let's let's go back to positivity uh one other I I think this is the first time they've taken like this sort of stab at it thing that we got this season, something we have been vocally and probably annoyingly clamoring for for a very long time. Uh, I believe we have talked about time manipulation being, as far as I'm personally concerned, it is the future of Survivor. It's just a matter of them figuring out the finer points of it. They have certainly, for a while now, been experimenting with the flashbacks. This time around, we get some experimentation with a flash forward, a mechanism used very routinely to tremendous effect on the genius and many other incredible Korean reality shows, but uh, not to this point being worked in on Survivor. We do finally get that this time around. I forget, to be honest, I don't remember the specific episode. I know the flash forward was like trying to suggest that it was going to be a tie vote. And I will say, as much as I loved seeing them go for it with the flash forward, I don't think this was the right time for it. Uh, like, it's the right time for it. It was the, not the right situation for it, to clarify, uh, where as soon as you see that, 
you can basically do the math on, okay, well, that's what's not going to happen because they would never go out of their way to tip it if that was what was actually going to happen. I think they have a lot of fine tuning to do with uh, figuring out what makes flash forwards on other reality shows so compelling so often. But the, the much like Jeff with the fire challenge, the mere fact that this is even part of the conversation now in the production room makes me so, so happy. And I am positive that uh, over time, assuming they continue to try to explore things along these lines, they will get there and time manipulation will hopefully uh, continue to be a semi-regular thing on Survivor that I, I think and hope will uh, just get better as they get more used to what they're doing. Yeah, for as much as we are both very enthusiastic about I embracing this as a narrative device, it does have that inherent risk to it that you alluded to of if you do it wrong, you effectively take all of the wind out of the sails of whatever event you're trying to build up to. Uh, so, yeah, there is a real downside there, and you have to figure out over time exactly how to do it uh, carefully, but I, I, it's, it's worth doing for sure, and I... I only wish that they had started doing this long ago so that by this point they would be seasoned professionals at it and we could have it be, you know, more seamlessly integrated into uh, the show uh, every time. Yeah, but I really don't mean to dwell too much on the negative there because the mere fact that this is something that they took a swing at in the first place and that Jeff apparently was a huge fan of, even if we weren't necessarily big fans of how it was used specifically – uh, this time around, that leaves me very, very happy. Uh, so I'm I'm crossing my fingers that this is something we're going to get uh, even more dabbling in as we hit season 46 and beyond. Uh, Dom, what else stood out to you? What, what, what would you say are going to be your like primary memories of Survivor 45, if any come to mind, that we haven't really gotten to yet? Uh, I think that... Uh... Episode three with uh, everything turning around on Sabaya and then uh, towards the opposite end of the season, that final five vote. Uh, like I said, the shot in the dark thing really didn't land for me. And, and part of that was, honestly, the fact that Caleb just went back out through the revolving door the next episode and hey, it got to be on the jury. But what does that even count for in an era where we don't really have individual jury speeches or performances anymore? Like he's just it's not we're not quite at the big brother level of uh, this is the question i've been ordered to read off my cue card but we're, we're not that far away from that either um so it was nice to see him there i suppose uh i get to, to see his his face gleaming on the screen but uh, whatever that that one was kind of a damn squib but uh there are some big moments there for me uh a lot of fun characters i, I think increasingly uh these days there are fewer uh, like uh, like big strategic moments that I associate with individual seasons or like uh, kind of YouTube clippable blindsides in quite the same way. Uh, but there's just some fun stuff to look back on. And there's a, a decent amount of that uh, in the season for me. So yeah, I think uh, give it a few years. Uh, I might have forgot exactly uh, some of the you know coarser details, but I, I think there'll still be some stuff vividly uh, in my memory there. One other thing I now realize uh, that probably isn't the grand finale of positivity that one might expect. I had just forgotten to bring this up earlier. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but 
one thing that has bothered me forever. Uh, I believe Heroes versus Villains was the first time that this became an issue because they were no longer doing two challenges per episode starting right around then. Uh, they had always had the rule that you can't set out back-to-back challenges, but when they went to one challenge per cycle, for whatever reason, that I, I will never understand it, they said, oh, well, that last challenge was from last week's episode, so you're free, Courtney Yates or Sandra or whoever, to, to sit out yet again. And ultimately that led us to, you know, many iconic uh, sit-out champions over the years, most recently Claire, I think, uh, in season 44, really kind of like put this over the top. They finally changed the rule so that you can't sit out back-to-back challenges no matter how many episodes that ends up spanning. This was, in my mind, the single most overdue overdue rule change of all time. I cannot believe the original rules were ever in place uh, along those lines, and I further can't believe it took 13 years to fix them, but I am so happy to finally be here. Yeah, that's something where I didn't really ever think it was that big of a deal but the fact that it just wasn't really uh patched if you like for so long over time that became more of a story than the original kind of uh oversight if you like and so yeah i i guess i'm glad that it's finally been uh noticed and addressed but yeah why why, why now after so long i don't I, because of claire is the reason why now uh would be my guess and the reason claire was doing it i believe i, I I don't know this to be true for sure. I cannot imagine that Claire, who was a Survivor super fan and like pretty heavily online, I believe, was not very much influenced by the reception that all of the sit-out queens of years gone by would always get from Twitter. And at a certain point, it very much seemed to me like Claire, who is not even bad at challenges, by the way, uh, like actively trained a ton to compete in the challenges, was doing it for the memes. Uh, and I am so happy that we are past the point of any of that ever being relevant again. Uh, okay, so Dom, let's go here. Let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the players in particular. And I think a, a way to dive into some more uh, specific stuff from the cast themselves would be an exercise. I think we, we've done it at least a couple times in the past, and this seems like a good spot to do it. Let's do a three picks each returnee draft in terms of who we would want to return, not necessarily who is going to like who producers would want, uh, but who we would most like to see play survivor again. And I think for the purposes of this conversation let's take d and bruce off the table uh for a couple of different reasons but i i'm hope i'm hopeful uh that those are both pretty intuitive but before we even get into the draft selections dom we have now gone five seasons without returnees in the new era and we know that 46 is coming up and that is also not going to be a returnee season let me ask you two questions number one over under Survivor 47.5 to be the first season to feature returnees. So I, my current guess is over and that it's going to be exactly 48. Uh, 
because if you if you view 41 as this official like hard reset and hard reboot then if you just go back to the original uh uh cadence right like all stars came in season eight that felt like a pretty good length of time to have this deep enough bench of people to cast a full season from with whatever other requirements you want in there without too much overlap in terms of uh having five people sat up all from the same season which i they probably will end up having anyway and it, it seems like even when they had you know 30 seasons to draw upon uh that would often just kind of be the case anyway there's a lot of recency bias involved and so i do actually wonder if we get to that point uh is 48 going to be a lot of people from like uh 45 46 47 and uh some of the people who really ought to come back from like the the 41 42 the uh the the old school seasons of this new era uh will kind of get uh undeservedly lost in the shuffle i feel a credit to me for setting the perfect line uh i would say uh where i see what you're saying about survivor 48 i obviously feel like 50 would be a very natural place to do some sort of big returnee season that said it seems like 18 people is the just the number that we roll with these days in terms of how many people we want on these 26-day Survivor seasons. And I don't know how likely they would be to go this route, but if they wanted to make 47 a returnee season, that would fit nicely with getting three people back from each season, perhaps in a perfect world a second chance to situation where you're not bringing back any winners. And obviously all of these people have only played once and not one to that point. I think I would maybe most prefer actually see seeing the answer be under and having it be squarely survivor 47. That said, mathematically, it seems far more likely than not that it will be 48 or beyond there. So were I a betting man, that would be, where my money is as well. Question number two about hypothetical returnee seasons. I'm positive. I've asked you this before on some other episode. I don't remember what it was and I don't remember what answer you gave. And I also don't know where I even stand on this issue myself. So let me ask you this over under 0.5 eventual returnees down the line who were from the old era of season one through season 40 will we ever see anyone from before the new era back on survivor so this is i think the same answer that i gave before it it doesn't make sense to me especially given the trends that you see in the 30s right like the the most recent decade of the old era that we had to draw upon it is baffling to me given some of the the star power of some of those like mid to late 30 seasons that they wouldn't uh bring those people back again but it really does seem like they are kind of a, a part of ancient history at this point and the 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 door has officially shut on them so unless there is something like um a some big heroes versus villains style returnee but not all winner season because we've done that now so we can't really top that i i I'm not seeing the circumstances where someone from that era ever really comes back. And if, if it is some odd kind of a like captain style thing, like Redemption Island, South Pacific or uh, Edge of Extinction, it feels like they will just go with uh, some of the high profile people from the, the more recent cast instead. So yeah, as, as weird as it is to say that people like uh, 
you know, Dominic Abate, Christian Hubicki, uh, a lot of the uh, kind of like really big hits from uh, from the 30s will never come back. It That's what it kind of looks like to me at this point. I think I agree. I'm not by any stretch 100% sold on that being the case. But it I, again, if I were a betting man, hypothetically, I think I probably would take the under 0.5 future returnees from season one to season 40. Although I'm going to unleash a take that I've been sitting on for quite a while. Uh, the most recent season of On Fire with Jeff Probst has put me over the top that I am now willing to at least float this out there. And this is also something that I don't think is anything close to like over 50% to actually happen. I could, though, talk myself into the possibility that the most likely way we see someone from the old era back on Survivor is whenever Jeff leaves, Rick Devins taking over as host hmm. of the show. Because not only did they bring him in, apparently just for this season only uh, for that podcast, but like very clearly he is someone Jeff loves and trusts. Uh, he has a ton of TV experience and he was mega popular with the fan base. I I don't think this is anything close to likely to happen, but I think there is a very non-zero chance that we someday show up and Rick Devins is the new host of Survivor. Yeah, I, I hope we, uh, maybe I hope we do get this. I was going to say, I hope we don't get the same kind of uh, Jeopardy rigmarole where we have this uh, re- revolving cast of increasingly unsuitable guest hosts before eventually it's like, yeah, we could have just put Ken Jennings in there this whole time and been happy about it. Uh, so I, I and I don't know if if Rick Devins really is the Ken Jennings analog in this scenario, or if the show really has uh, much of a future in its current form once Jeff goes. Because I I I don't know what was going on behind the scenes with uh, Alex Trebek or anything, but Jeff at this point is he's not just as a host; he is the creative direction of the show and its. Uh, and it's heart and soul for better or for worse. And if uh, Rick Devins becomes that person, or if uh, those roles kind of become split again, and you just have a host over here, and then uh, the you know whatever executive producer role uh, over here, then I don't know what Survivor looks like at that point. That really will be a new uh, new era. Yeah, and I don't you know by the time it seems like Jeff is not going anywhere anytime. So I, I think there is virtually no chance that Jeff doesn't go to at least 50. And so we may, you know, in the world where Jeff does someday want to step down, first of all, you may be right that Jeff leaving is just the end of the franchise because he is the one controlling virtually, or at least very near the top of the food chain at virtually every point of every step of the process. Uh, And they may just say it would be, a lot harder uh, to continue without him than we would like. And so we'll just shut it down there. Uh, But furthermore, it may be the case that like so much time has passed between Rick's one season and whenever they need a new host, that that prospect is just off the table. But I I also have now uh, thought of the other point that I had uh, that made me begin thinking about that, which is when Jeff talked about, COVID was the only thing that got in the way of Rick being back on 
with Survivor 41 in the form of like the fire token shopkeeper uh, and that Rick like they did have plans to insert Rick back into the show as like a non-player character that just got uh, muddled by COVID. Uh, so just I, I wanted at least to have that take somewhere on the record so that when you know many many years from now I cannot remember which episode it was where I said that uh, but anyway Dom let's finally now get into the brought up 15 plus minutes ago returnee draft of again not who you think the producers would like to bring back but just who you Dom Harvey would most want to see back playing Survivor Again, I will give you the first pick. Uh, so I, I think the obvious one to take off the board here would be uh, financial analyst herself, Emily Flippin, who, for me, I I was kind of in on the Emily storyline early. I, I always love the kind of uh, fish out of water who who finds their footing, not that fish have feet, but you know where I'm going with this, uh, and who kind of blossom into these really like uh, confident, successful players. The, the issue I have sometimes is that when that transformation occurs, it's like, well, OK, well, what do you have left in the tank at this point? Uh, and because I, I, I was here for you when you were some uh, you, you were floundering around helplessly. And now that you are uh, uh, confidently and uh, efficiently executing plans uh, it, that I, I'm, I'm happy for you, but it, maybe it's not uh, as fun from a TV perspective. Uh, I, there was some of that with Emily for me, but I was glad that I got to have that problem still and that early uh Lulu Emily phase where uh, Lulu was not a good look for for anybody involved but um I, I think her part of that arc really helped to make that as as crazy and insane as it was and then once we got like more normal and normalized Emily later on I was kind of here for that too and I I'm excited to see what she could do if she is that person from the outset but I almost uh love that she is not uh, uh, as super keen as a lot of people would be to kind of get that second shot uh, at redemption and she's not saying firmly that she's one and done but she is uh, kind of more ambivalent about the idea than you would expect a lot of people in her spot to be and I kind of love her the more for that at this point. So Emily was also the easy number one pick on the board for who I would most want back as well. Uh, I do though thankfully have a pretty easy number two I would say with the number two pick, I'm going to take Katora, uh, where I really, really liked Katora. I think she was probably the runaway confessionalist of the season for me, which is going to carry a lot of water as far as I am concerned. I think she had a lot more promise as a player than we actually got to see, uh, just given the circumstances that like unfolded around her. And I also feel like both the audience and Katura, and perhaps Bruce, are owed a shot at Katura 2.0, if for no reason other than I really did not like how much of her story was about Bruce and how much of Bruce's story was about her when, first of all, it barely ended up even mattering. And second of all, I felt like they both could have been so much more compelling without that being like their driving narrative there. I would love to hear them just comment about whatever happens to be going on around them that week than just this constant back and forth and Katura just like rolling her eyes at him in confessionals. Uh, I, I feel like Katura 
really got kind of a raw deal with so much of her content revolving around Bruce. Uh, and so for that, as well as the previously listed reasons, I would be very much in on Keturah coming back for a second shot. So I, I will push back on that. And even though Keturah herself, I know, uh, had issues with how OneNote her early edit was just as the, the, the Bruce Hazer uh, in chief, I, I thought that that storyline, I mean, firstly, that kind of uh, ongoing feud or vendetta, whether it's one-sided, double-sided, whatever, that is good TV. It's fun. It, it is refreshing to see in this uh, much more kumbaya era of New Survivor. And for the people who remember the you know good or bad old days, it is fun to see that kind of uh, just like personal animosity actually bubble up to the surface again. And uh, the fact that it was a shared trait between so many different people. Like if it was just portrayed as Katura hates Bruce, why does she hate Bruce so much? When it comes out after the fact that in fact, everyone had their own problems with Bruce, then that would be one thing. But when it uh, transpires that, you know, Kelly, who is, uh, as Bruce sees it at least, uh, Bruce's closest ally, she can't stand him and is looking for any chance to, to dump that ball and train. Uh, Emily, who I think was very unfairly tarnished from the outset as, oh, uh, Emily instantly calling out Bruce, uh, you know, in the, uh, the the day one matchup. That's a little uh, suspicious, don't you think? And no, it turns out that apparently the vibes were so off with Bruce that uh, half of the cast, including the people he was working closely with, uh, just really were put off by him uh, from the outset in a way that it seemed like did cause some genuine introspection among Bruce uh, once he became aware of that uh, towards the end. So the fact that so many people shared in that, to me, uh, reframes Keturah's role as as the Bruce Hader-in-Chief, where like that gets to be one part of her story, and it's a fun story to have in there, but it, it doesn't feel... It, it's not like uh, they misrepresented the strength of her feeling about Bruce, as far as I can tell, um, and I think that's a fun story to have in there and she gets to be a central part of a fun story. So if, if people are layering their own interpretations on that, then that's kind of on them. But just for what that story was, I think that's that part was totally fine. Um, and then moving beyond that, I, I think we got a lot more from Katura, especially once Bruce was voted out, right? We, we got to hear a lot of her, uh, of her backstory and a lot of the, the tough shit that she had to uh, struggle through. Uh, what she wants to do with her life now and what she already is. You know, she she isn't just a uh, an aspiring lawyer. She is, in fact, a, uh, a a lawyer. She's not a law school student. She's, she is a, uh, a, a a certified lawyer. So uh, there, there's fun stuff like that. We got the uh, the fire challenge at the end, uh, her you know, activities and then inactivities and working with Jake and then not working with Jake in the end game. I don't know. I feel like we actually got a very complete, very complex uh, Kutura storyline with a lot of like smaller storylines within that and I actually don't know how much more there would be for her from a future season where I, I don't know where you're seeing this uh, potential as a great player it feels like we if anything the maybe the uh, the more unfair story for her is she had several chances like many many chances to try and upend the game and turn the apple cart over and just declined all of them which I actually don't fault her for, for the most part. Like, I think a lot of those plans were kind of doomed from the outset, even if she had been on board. But um, 
I'm not seeing that latent potential the way that you seem to be. Uh, so what, 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 where does that lie for you? I mean, I, I don't mean to frame it as, oh, Katora was just this robbed goddess who showed so much promise uh, as a game player and just found herself in a rough spot. I agree that while she did, I, for my money, find herself in a very rough spot, there were opportunities uh, that could have theoretically been taken, although I, like you, did not think that any one in particular was some like glaring blunder not to go for. And as it turned out, you know, she did make it to the point where she just had to win final immunity or win a fire challenge. And she could have been sitting there at final three, I guess in the, the math that I was doing is even under these fairly brutal circumstances, I still feel, felt like she was not necessarily like an insanely talented player, but at the very least, an interesting player who, if presented with more complicated, uh, complicated is the wrong word, more appealing options under different circumstances. I think she could have been a ton of fun to watch be kind of like one of the central figures of a season. And the whole reason that I say the thing about uh, not loving how much of her story was about Bruce is because I saw somewhere on Twitter. I'm sorry. I don't know whom to be crediting here. Uh, I saw a stat, I don't even know if this is true, but I believed it, uh, that like at a certain point, it wasn't quite through the finale of the season, but it was like Katura's had 50 confessionals and 28 of them have been about Bruce. Like it was just overwhelming how much of her content was about Bruce. And I agree with the points you made about that storyline and their place in the season being a fun and potentially cool one. Uh, it just felt like on paper to me, not even a bit much, like a lot much in terms of how much of Katura's content was just her talking about Bruce and how annoying he was. But any, anyway, Katura's my pick at number two, Dom. Uh, I would say I have a pretty easy numbers three and four here, so I will let you go next and hopefully make this decision for me. Okay, I think I... And yeah, I'm not allowed to pick Bruce himself, right? I let's take D and Bruce off the table. Okay. Uh, so we're talking. Uh, let's. Uh, this is this is the hypothetical. It's Survivor 47 or 48, and it's second chance too. So both D, who does not need a second chance, and Bruce, who has already had his second chance, are ineligible. Okay. I I'm gonna pick Caleb. Actually, I, I think he, for whatever reason, he he fits that mold as. The the person who gets targeted as like the big threat at the merge, who eh, that was always going to happen inevitably, and they were never actually going to be able to uh, go the whole way. But everyone is so like obsessed with that threat that uh, them trying to dodge that spotlight becomes like a, a fun story in itself. And uh, if anything, he seemed to caught that spotlight. Right, he was always either uh, in control or like cheating death somehow, and then like flitting back and forth between those two and always displaying a lot of just charisma and uh, like fun energy doing that, I think. So I, I would love to see Caleb back for another shot. And I think I would enjoy that more, whatever the outcome, than some of the, the players who went deeper and I think who maybe are going to be more successful on average, but who just don't bring the same kind of uh, fun variance to it that uh, someone like Caleb does. 
so maybe this is unfair of me. Uh, I see for sure what you're saying about Caleb. He was not going to be someone I was probably drafting with my top three picks just on the grounds that, well, he certainly brings a lot to the table as like a survivor character and player in general. I do also have a hard time seeing many timelines where pretty much the exact same thing just happens to him as many times as he plays Survivor. And I remember when we were in here talking after episode three about Caleb saying, oh, this guy seems fun. He seems interesting. I don't know how long he's going to be able to make it post merge before he is very clearly someone that a lot of people want to get rid of. And I don't know that that dynamic is going to change on any returnee season that he plays as well. Uh, You know, we're in the era of the tallest poppies just constantly getting cut down pretty much straight away post merge, like a huge percentage of the time. And I feel like Caleb is just always going to be one such person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I now, man, I, there are too many people that I want to see back. I'm already upset with myself that I'm not going to be able to fit all of the people on uh, my three-person roster here, but keeping in mind that something I would find interesting is in a second chance player, the opportunity to show more of themselves, show uh, a different side of themselves, perhaps. I think someone who, to me, demonstrated a lot of promise that tragically in my mind had their run cut much shorter than i both wanted and expected this is i yeah i'm gonna do it i my next pick is going to be kelly nalbandian and dom i certainly remember in that episode three podcast we did talking about how on whatever i guess it was the blue team the original blue team uh at that point The only people knowing that we were like about to swap that I felt like super good about because like my only edit take that I had about basically anything that had happened through those first three episodes was it seems like Kelly is getting highlighted as like a long term power player because she would get all this like unnecessary content. The one that really stands out in my mind is they've repeatedly flagged up like this tight bond that had developed between Kelly and Brando, even though it seemed like Brando was kind of on the outs there. And then when they swapped onto different tribes, the only takeaway I had was, oh, okay, Kelly and Brando must be lock safe to both make it to whatever the next phase is, because they would never go out of their way to highlight that duo if it wasn't going to somehow pay off later. And then like, the week after that thought crossed my mind, Brando was just immediately gone. And then I was thinking, oh, okay, they must have just been showing us that to demonstrate what an elite social game, Kelly, our eventual winner, is playing here. Uh, and she, now that Brando's gone, clearly Kelly must be the number one player to be on the lookout for. Uh, not too long after that, Kelly's game was just over. Uh, but she is definitely someone that I would say showed a lot of promise as a player i don't know what like the meta would be about her if she were to come back for a returnee season i frankly don't know unfortunately how likely it is that uh 
she would be in the mix for a returnee season. But, you know, Dom, I've had a pretty solid track record of planting my flag on Kelly's being potentially very uh, underrated kind of returnees. I don't think I'm the only Kelly Nelbandian uh, stan out there. I'm not the only one on the Nell bandwagon for sure. Uh, but I would love to see Kelly come back and get uh, a second shot. Were you, were you a Kelly person? Oh, I was. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked her a lot, and I thought she was the the solid front runner for for quite a while. Um, that said, I, I don't know if the cat is out of the bag now. And uh, once uh, she got on the radar, she was swiftly booted off it uh, in this season. And now that she'll be on the radar from day one, if she does come back, uh, may, maybe it's going to be an uphill battle. But yeah, I I thought that she was. Uh, destined for success the way that you did because she was one of these people who gets to talk in a very kind of a matter of fact kind of clinical way about what's good for their game and uh, oh this is bad news for my game and as an audience member part of my reaction is why why do i care specifically what is good for your game unless i am being uh told in a not so subtle way i have a reason to care about you for a long time to come you know and your success in particular uh so I was I was ready to to uh, hitch a ride on the bandwagon, uh, and then I, I was uh, booted off that one as well before long. Yeah. Uh, okay, Dom, your final pick. So, just scanning the sets of people, I I feel the way I do about I think a lot of the cast on an average season these days, and I think you are just much more at peace with this than I am, but. There's a lot of people who I enjoy them. I think they were good casting choices for what they were, but I don't have any particular desire to see them play again. And even if there's some perhaps unrealized potential or whatever, I, I don't need to go through all the hoops to see them uh, try perhaps in vain to realize it. Um, so in, in that vein for me, maybe just give me Austin again, because I, I, I don't know if he's going to bring too much new to the table, but he just has such a fun energy that I think he's just going to brighten up my screen whenever he's on it. And although maybe now maybe we could get like a more cynical Austin who is uh being hardened by the, the scars of, uh, you know, recent events and who that therefore um, will be uh, you know, much more cutthroat on his second outing. So if, if he stays the same or if he mixes it up, that'll be fun to watch. So that's a nice way to hedge my best. I will say, I think Austin I think everyone involved, both Austin and Dee and just the cast in general, is done a real disservice by this, uh, frankly, uh, projected narrative of, well, Dee only won because uh, Austin was this this lovesick puppy, puppy dog who, uh, if, if only he knew what he knew now, he wouldn't have thrown a million dollars away uh, for, for Dee, which I'm not sure that's what he thought he was doing or what he uh, was in fact doing. And I think it does a big disservice to D, first of all, to assume that, well, if it weren't for Austin, who is the main character through whom all agency flows on the season, um, you know, if he just hadn't made this mistake, uh, then uh, D wouldn't have won. Which, like, if that's true, credit to D for making the main character of the season do that, I suppose. Like, she she would have understood the assignment. Uh, and the, the fact that people are so theoretically scandalized by that shows, I think, how how soft our attitude towards like small V or capital V villains has become on the show. Um, but no, I, I think that they had a 
good like alliance out there and perhaps more than that too uh and it kind of served them both to let the other one think that austin seemed from what we were shown a little more invested in that idea than uh than d was but um i I think that like it's unfair to d as our winner also unfair to austin himself um and i think austin leaving that entire controversy aside austin was a very solid player who i I thought at first, at one point, he was going to be the favorite because he he was in this dominant position. No one was even talking about him. Um, He just seemed to kind of be crushing every facet of the game. And then at some point, I wondered if he was just going to be the Xander of the season where there's a reason no one's talking about him. And it's because no one actually takes him seriously. And maybe uh, his his youth is part of that and and so on. Uh, But it turns out that actually he was somewhere in between where he was well-respected, I think, and well-liked, and was seen as a big player, but just D was more well-liked and more well-respected and was able to frame their relationship in the right way at the end. And so I don't think it has to be a case of uh, one of them completely hoodwinking the other and one of them being good means the other one has to suck. I think they both uh, were very good at playing Survivor and D was better. And Austin, if he really was at the top of his game and, and... uh, with his eye on the prize, should have tried to cut D sooner. But uh, that is the story of every winner is uh, people pass up chances that they should have taken to get them out. Uh, and I don't think uh, Austin's personal circumstances, whatever they were, uh, make that unique at all. Yeah, I, I think Austin would be an interesting person to see back now having experienced everything he did on Survivor 45. Like, I think the Survivor 45 version of Austin would not necessarily be someone too high up my list to be like dying to have back to play again. But he definitely strikes me as the type to, if he were interested in going back, have learned a lot from his first time around and potentially be coming back, uh, like not necessarily guns blazing, but with a decidedly different kind of state of mind. Like to, as far as I was concerned, I by no means mean to contribute to the uh, conversation anything close to the lines of like Austin threw the game away because he was just blinded by D for whatever reason. I, I 100% with you that that is a massive uh, short selling of both D and Austin. But I would love to see a version of Austin play who understands uh, just how it feels to come up barely short and to not want to have that happen again and to go out there potentially a lot more uh, skeptical of those around him uh, and a lot more interested in kind of putting his foot on the gas. Not that he did like he certainly was out there playing very hard and I would say playing quite well for the vast majority of that season. Uh, But I'm with you overall on, I, I would be down to see, uh, Austin come back, although he would not have been my next pick. Uh, Dom, with the last pick in this draft, I'm going to first give an honorable mention. Uh, I'm going to say the person who kind of bubbled my list. So like if I had had four draft picks, I'm, I'm pretty confident this person would have been uh, the fourth member of my team. I frankly don't know that this would be someone who would be like a whole different character the second time around. I don't know that uh, she would necessarily 
be out there feeling the frustration of coming up short the first time around, although maybe I'm not ruling it out, but uh, I would be just open to seeing more of Kendra. Uh, I thought she was fun. I'm not I'm not dying on the hill that like Kendra definitely needs to come back to Survivor, but I would absolutely be here for it if she did. I might go a potentially unexpected route here, though, for the official third member of my returnee draft team. I've been staring at this list of the entire cast and maybe I'm just, uh, you know, falling in love with my own ideas. I, I cannot take my eyes off this one person's name. And so for the final draft pick, I'm going to say I want Sabaya back. I think Sabaya would be a very fun person. Like we only got three episodes of Sabaya and I feel like she left a major mark on the season, partially, of course, because of the uh, unprecedentedness, for lack of a better term, if that's even a word, uh, of the way that she went out. But I feel like Sabaya, having learned whatever she did from Survivor 45 and just continuing to bring to the table everything she was already bringing to the table as a Survivor player, in my view, I would be so down with another shot for Sabaya. I'd be down, too. Yeah, I I enjoyed how, like, she was playing hard. I think she gave good confessionals, but without the same, like, giddy excitement necessarily that characterized so many other people where you need some of that, but once everyone is laying that on thick all the time, it becomes a little much. So I like that she was just kind of there doing her thing, and when things blew up in her face in the most dramatic possible way she was suitably uh shocked by it but it was like okay well yeah i mean that uh, fair enough you know that what what more can you really say and on if it is specifically like a second chance kind of setup there's there's always some people there who uh didn't really get much of a first chance in the first place you know some of these early boots and i think she would be yeah an ideal candidate to, to fit out some of those slots yeah, uh, Dom, a couple other things just before we wrap up here that in looking at this cast list have crossed my mind uh, and I wanted to just get your thoughts on it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Julie on this season. Hell of a run as far as I was concerned. Uh, did not, you know, to be honest, go in after those first few episodes thinking Julie was going to be nearly the kind of uh, player to keep tabs on that she ultimately proved to be. Uh, and maybe the more recent seasons are more coincidental than I'm currently giving them credit for, but it made me realize, you know, Julie, uh, if Wikipedia is to be believed, was 49 years old. I know Gabler uh, was right around there. I want to say Mike Turner was right around there. Uh, there have been, and again, maybe just a coincidence, small sample size, but as far as I've been able to tell, there have been quite a few kind of older players in Survivor terms. Like 49 is not old in the grand scheme of life, but in Survivor, it has like historically been quite difficult for people in that age demographic and certainly beyond that to ever really find their footing certainly as like power players within the game but even to just be like treated as like like viewed similarly to people of the more conventional ages that they were casting was pretty 
few and far between over the first like 40 ish years of survivor. I am putting on the table, the theory that there's never been a better time to be in your late forties, early fifties, anywhere around there than the new era of survivor. I, I, I really think there might be something to the idea that when such a huge percentage of the cast loves the show, loves the game, talks openly about that sort of thing and is i would say understandably far more inclined than the you know early 20s aspiring instagram models i I guess at the time that they were doing a lot of that sort of casting instagram was barely even a thing but you know what i'm saying uh the mactors era that uh we we sat through for so long i feel like the older players are frankly getting like a fair shot on survivor for maybe the first time ever in the new era. And I think Julie's just yet another illustration of that. And I love that element of it. Yeah. Uh, 49 is a new 29. It it seems Um, Julie was a really interesting question mark for me on the season, because we saw a lot of commentary about Julie as a threat. So uh, uh, Jake and Katura, I think both mentioned at various points that, uh, we we got to take out Julie. Uh, the fact that Julie's the uh, the mom of the group was mentioned. You you don't want to go up against the mom, which it seems like historically you you kind of do want to go up against the mom because often they either aren't taken seriously at all, or if they are trying to play the game actively, that is held against them and it's taken as kind of going contrary to that perception of them as like the the gentle mother figure, and they get raked over the coals for that. So maybe there's some selection bias there where uh the moms who really would benefit from that perception get voted out because people are scared of that and so it's only like the the sherry beathmans of the world and so on who who make it through the net uh but it seemed like uh when we've got to test that theory uh honestly you do want to go up against the moms uh so is julie one of the uh the the ill-fated moms in question I was never quite sure about that. And she, she was held up a lot as uh, a threat in her own right, as this power player. My assumption coming in was she's going to be seen as playing second fiddle to D. But if anything, it seemed like uh, even to the extent that they were perceived as a pair, which we saw from the outset, but it seemed like on the island that was much less uh, obvious. But of the two, D was the one who kind of flew under the radar and Julie was... Uh, the one who you have to take down before it's too late. So I don't know if that becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. If Dee and Julie do get to stay loyal to each other to the end, is is Julie the winner of the season? Like, is, is Julie the favorite? Or is that just a classic case and people find reasons to talk themselves into this person's a threat or uh, oh, this person, we can ignore them for now and for good reason. Um, and that kind of perception management is uh, is part of being such a great player. I don't know where to land on that. And if there was actually any uh, bark to that proverbial bite where Julie is concerned. Well, the good news is I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of postseason interviews very soon. <laughs> where we're going to get to find out these sorts of hypotheticals that the entire fan base is wondering about. Uh, anyway, Dom, uh, one final for me, Survivor 45 cast member shout out that I have got to give. We had a development uh, at the time of this recording, maybe like a week or so ago, maybe 10 days, somewhere in that neighborhood, where for, I believe, the first time all season, if not like ever, 
Hannah Rose, our first boot, if you want to call it that, uh, on this season, joined Twitter. And Hannah immediately became, like, the most consensus Twitter mother I have seen in so long. I was, for, like, when it was happening, loving everything we were getting out of Hannah on Twitter. And then I thought it was so fucking perfect that after two or three days she got sick of it and just bounced and has not been heard from again i love that so much uh whether it is a bit where like she knew going in that that's what she was going to do or if she was authentically trying to just be on twitter and have a good time and twitter got the best of her pretty quickly absolutely no notes that is a home run bit or not uh incredible stuff there from hannah there will be uh some new mother to obsess over in 46 before long but for now yeah i mean enjoy it while it lasts for sure oh and uh, sorry one final final note now from me on survivor 45 cast members uh this is an exclusive exclusive club dom that i know you've been carefully tracking over the years uh we i believe even after this next induction we are still going to be in the single digits all time of people that i have ever put in this pantheon uh and this is someone who only really required going on survivor to join this pantheon because i have been a big fan of their tweets for a long time but a super exclusive club that i have been the sole uh voting committee on for many many years at this point is the survivor alumni who are exceptionally good at Twitter club. Recent inductees include, uh, you know, Zach Wurtenberger, Lydia Meredith back when she was tweeting, uh, was inducted. You know, Gabby's been in the list. Sophie Clark back, I believe, uh, in the day was like the original uh, inaugural person for these survivors who are exceptionally good at Twitter. Brandon Donlin, clearly in that uh, same stratosphere for me. Brandon has been a remarkable survivor tweeter for a very long time. And I would say uh, post survivor Brandon has been knocking it out of the park just as well, if not more so. So uh, congratulations to Brandon on that hotly coveted honor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, all right, Dom, anything else on survivor 45, any of the cast members we didn't get uh, into a ton, anything else you want to get out there before we close the book? I think I'm good, honestly. All right. I believe I am as well. This ran far longer uh, than I thought it was going to, but I would say that's generally uh, a very good sign. I hope the listeners out there enjoyed it as well. For anyone interested, we, as mentioned an hour and a half ago or so, are covering older seasons over on the Patreon feed. We have probably at this point like hundreds of uh, episodes not available on the main feed, currently working our way through Survivor Pearl Islands. Uh, the link, in case you forgot, patreon.com slash Dom and Colin. And I would say, uh, I know this is like the shorter Survivor offseason, at least I assume they're going to start back up in February. Uh, but there have been a couple of things I've been watching recently, Dom, uh, that I wouldn't hate getting your takes on as well. So maybe we'll be back in here uh, before 46 rolls around but until then he is on twitter of course at dom hrv i am on twitter at colin stone i believe unless dom has anything more and now would be the time to interrupt me and say so i hearing no further objection am going to say take care everybody